our work here is done, right? I mean, I, I, don't, know, I don't know how to make that any better. Glad that you're here this morning. Glad that you're joining us online this morning. Good to be together. This has been a busy weekend here at Bay Area. It's been great. You know, we had the color conference this weekend that an awful lot of us got to enjoy. It was just fun. It was just a lot of fun. We learned some things about ourselves. We learned some things about each other. You know, my my takeaway from that whole weekend really was God really knows what he's doing. You know, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And my other takeaway was, man, am I glad I'm here. You know, these are my people. You know, these, uh, this is my family. So uh, to the team that came down and made it happen, wow, thanks for sharing your... your uh, talent and information, your energy to make it so, uh, so fun and so good. We're different. We're, we're better because of it. Um, and I wasn't going to say a word about it, but so many of you have asked, this is my Light It Up for Ace shirt, Autism Awareness Month. So, okay, it's, it's not that I don't know what I have on, okay, you know. Everybody's looking at me like, what are you wearing? So, Okay. Yeah. Um, heard about a young farmer who was sort of wondering if maybe he should have gone into ministry instead of farming. So one day he's out in the field and he looks up and he sees some clouds and it looks like they're forming letters. And he watches and sure enough the clouds form a very distinctive P and C. He says, wow, that's God telling me to preach Christ. It's God's will for me to go and preach Christ. So he leaves the farm and he, he goes into preaching. Unfortunately, he was a really bad preacher. And uh, after one of his sermons, a guy leaned over and whispered to his wife, are you sure your husband's vision wasn't God telling him to plant corn? (laughs) You know, sometimes I think we sort of uh, uh, come at God's will like that farmer. We think that God's will in our lives is some unfathomable mystery that we'll never quite understand, but if we pay real close attention, if we get really lucky, maybe God will pull the curtain back just enough for us to get a glimpse of what He wants us to do and who He wants us to be. Now, I know that it's Palm Sunday, but I'm going to stay in the book of James uh, today. Next week, we'll be talking about the resurrection. I mean, I hope you're here next week. I hope you bring your friends next week. It's going to be a great week next week, but we're going to stay in the book of James today. We've been walking our way through this little book the uh, last several weeks. And what James wants us to know that God's will in our life, it's not some strange mystery that a few people will figure out, but most never will. James makes it very clear that God's will for our lives is very clear. He just puts it out there. Here's what God wants you to do. Here's who God wants you to be. You know, the challenge of James is not to try to figure out what he means and what he's saying and what's God's will in my life. The challenge of James is developing a faith that works, a faith that works in real life. So we're going to just jump right back into the text, right where we left off last week, and um, see what James is trying to tell us. I'm in James chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business and make money. 
Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Okay, what is James talking about here? Is he talking about making plans for the future? Because I kind of hope that he is. I hope he's talking about planning for the future. And I say that because every now and then when I preach, I'll talk about my wife or my marriage. And believe it or not, I try really hard not to do that. I do. Because it's not fair to Martha. It's not fair for me to stand up here and always just my side of the conversation, always give my you know, opinion on a situation. So this morning, all I'm going to say about my marriage is, one of us is a planner. <laughs> the other is not. That's all I'm going to say. One of us is a planner. When we do things, one of us wants to know what we're going to do. When we go somewhere, one of us wants to know, how are we going to get there? When are we going to leave? Where are we going to stay when we get there? What are we going to do while we're there? How are we going to pay for where we stay and what we do? When are we going to leave? When are we going to get home? Who's going to take care of the mail? Who's going to do something with the dog? One of us is a planner. One of us is not. I am not a planner. (laughs) I'm just not. I'm the guy who's like, we'll figure it out. Come on. We'll find a place. We'll find things to do. It'll be an adventure. Come on, it'll be fun. No, I want to be planned. Now, see, I was really hoping that James was saying that I'm right and she's wrong. That's what I want this passage to say. Planning is way overrated. That's what I was hoping James was saying here. But of course, we spent enough time in the book of James to know that he's going way past that. He's getting way past what we want him to say, and he's going to talk about what we really need to hear. So this morning, I want to share with you just my three very simple takeaways from this passage in James chapter 4. By the way, simple is not the same as easy. What James says here, it's easy to understand. It is really hard to execute. And my first takeaway, and I think we'll all agree on this takeaway, is life is short. Listen, I know you're, you're going to see me in the lobby and you're going to have seven more points that should have come out of here and they're going to be a lot better than my points. Uh, that's okay. But I think we'll all agree with James when he tells us life is short. Uh, that's verse 13 and 14. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. James is giving us a forecast for his life. And he says, the outlook is foggy. Your life is a mist. You might be reading from a version that says, your life is a vapor. It's a vapor, it's a mist, it's fog, it's here. And then all at once it's gone. Remember who James is writing to. He's writing to Christians that basically have been run out of their home. And apparently some of these Christians have landed on their feet. There are some of these Christians who are traveling, they have businesses, they're making money. 
James wants to be sure they understand the context of the life that they're living now. That your life is a vapor. It's a mist. You know, we talk a lot about planning for retirement. James says you better be planning for expirement. And I'm not exactly sure that's even a word, but we know what we're saying, right? That, you know, we all have a shelf life. Unless Jesus returns, none of us are getting out of here alive. Our lives are short. The older we get, the faster they move. Um, We aren't promised tomorrow. We just aren't. You can go online this afternoon, and you can purchase a product called the Ticker Watch. T-I-K-K-E-R, I think. It's a wristwatch that you wear, but it's more than just a wristwatch. It does more than just tell time. It actually has a countdown timer on it, and this watch will count down to the day you die. Not just the day, the actual second that you're going to die. You go online and you fill out a big form about, um, you know, your family history and your age and your lifestyle and your job and your stress level, all these things, and then this watch begins ticking down to the month the day, the hour, the second that you die. It's marketed as a way to remind us that time is our most valuable asset and that time wasted is a life wasted. I actually went on their website and this is what it says on their website. At Ticker, we believe a fulfilling life is about taking chances, setting goals, leading a healthy lifestyle and seeing what the world has to offer. We want and encourage you to lead a life you never thought possible, making the most of every second. Get the ticker watch today and start living your life. $65 plus postage and handling. Which really isn't that bad a deal, you know? Uh, The fine print, though, there is a disclaimer on the website that says the ticker watch is for entertainment purposes only. Not intended as a medical device or instrument to predict your death. And on the box, it actually says, I saw this all the back, it's the happiness watch. Like it's going to make you happy every time you look for the time. My life is slipping away. What time is it? It's 10.33 and I'm going to die. I mean, that, that would not make me happy. No. But this marketing idea of you're going to live a better life, Because you know you're going to die actually isn't that far off from what James is telling us. If we understand how brief this life really is, we're going to make different decisions. And we're going to make better decisions. You know, we talk about uh, counting our years every birthday. Scripture says you'd be better off counting your days. Psalms chapter 90 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. There is wisdom in actually understanding that our days are numbered. Waylon Jennings saying, I'm going to live forever. He didn't live forever. Life is short. It's an interesting verse kind of tucked away in the wisdom literature of Ecclesiastes. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Says it's better to spend your time at funerals than at festivals, for you are going to die, and you should think about it while there's still time. 
I'm going to guess you never saw that passage on somebody's wall, like a plaque. <laughs> right under, I know the plans I have for you. You are going to die. Think about that. But there is some wisdom in that. You need to think about that while there's still time. I am involved in a lot of weddings. I am involved in a lot of funerals. You know, weddings are usually a time where people are very happy. Funerals are usually a time when people are very somber. But there's a different vibe other than that in weddings and funerals. People at a funeral, and maybe I've talked about this before, but they they just live their life in that, that instant, in that moment. It's a different context, a different perspective. At funerals, nobody cares if the music doesn't start on time. Nobody cares if somebody walks in five minutes late. And nobody's upset if there's a baby crying. Why? Because they realize there's something bigger going on here. There's something more important. Now, I've seen people come apart at the seams when a wedding doesn't go exactly right. You know, the world has ended. There's a whole different perspective at funerals because we realize life is short. There are things that are important. Our days are numbered. We're a mist. We're a vapor. And I think we do make better decisions when we realize that. But listen, you don't have to attend a funeral to know that life is short. All you got to do is read God's Word. Because God actually talks about it a lot. And again, He's not trying to depress us. He's trying to impress us with the fact that our lives are really fragile. We're not promised five more years. not promised five more days. Uh, I should change some of the decisions that I make today, knowing that life is short. Here's my second takeaway from this section of uh, James. Life is short, and God's in control. That's verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Regardless of what I hope that passage means, James is not condemning planning. James is not saying don't make plans. In fact, Proverbs 21 says, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. Planning for the future is a good thing. I think Gary would tell you it wasn't raining when Noah started building the ark, right? Isn't that what insurance agents always tell us, right? You know? <laughs> plan for the future. You need to plan for the future. There is a place for planning. God is not opposed to us planning for the future. What God is opposed to is me deciding, I'm the big dog with the hot sauce. I'm going to be able to handle everything on my own. What God is opposed to is me planning for my future and completely ignoring God, leaving Him out of the equation, not understanding that anything under God's control is never out of control. Have you ever noticed that there's this giant if in the middle of life? There's a giant if in the middle of everything we do. And we all know people who, when the plans come undone, they come undone. When things don't work out just like they thought they should, their life just disintegrates. And then we also know people who, when plans go awry, they seem to be able to adapt on the fly. 
I mean, they just change lanes seamlessly. They pick themselves up, they brush themselves off, they just get back at it. Nothing seems to bother them. And I think those are the people who understand there's a big if in the middle of my life. There's a big if in the middle of all my plans. God's in control. God really wants you to know this. (laughs) He talks about it a lot. Psalm chapter 135. The Lord does whatever, whatever pleases Him in the heavens and on the earth. The Lord does whatever pleases Him. Maybe that's why that phrase, if God wills, should be a regular part of our vocabulary. We ought to just get used to acknowledging, if God wills. And if it's not a part of our vocabulary, at least a part of our understanding and our convictions. I know we're in James, but the Apostle Paul writes about this, talks about this a lot. In Acts chapter 18, he says to the elders of the church of Ephesus, as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. And he set sail from Ephesus. He closes his letter to the Corinthians by saying, this time I don't want to make just a short visit and then go right on. I want to come and stay a while if the Lord will let me. And he begins his letter to the church in Rome. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. Paul learned, and for the most part he learned it the hard way, I'm not in control. In fact, the reality is I'm not in control of hardly anything. God's in control, not me. Now, some people struggle with being too certain of the future. And then others struggle with being so deathly afraid of what might happen in the future, they know we get kind of paralyzed. Either way, it's a temptation to sort of always be looking to the future. You know, what's going to happen next? And we sort of forget that not only is God in control of the future, God's also in control of right here, right now, this moment, this day. God's in control, which brings me to my third simple takeaway from this passage, and that is we need to do the right thing. Life is short. God's in control. Do the right thing. That's verse 17. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. When James says anyone then... He's connecting what he's just said to what he's about to say. Since life is short, because we are not in control, because God is sovereign, because we know all these things, then anyone who knows the good he ought to do right now, in this present moment, and doesn't do it right now, in this present moment, sins. Now, we know that verse. We know James 4.17. We quote that verse. We use that verse all the time. If you've ever sat in a class where people are talking about sins of omission, that's the verse. That's the verse we go to. Because there's two types of sins. There's sins of commission and there's sins of omission. And we feel really smart when we understand that. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. But just knowing that truth is not the same as having the faith to live it out. 
in the series finale of the sitcom, sitcom Seinfeld, which if you're old enough, you'll, you'll remember the episode, or if you see enough, Mark has seen enough reruns, I guess, um, you'll remember that that entire episode hinges on the four main characters, Jerry and George and Elaine and Kramer, all kind of standing idly by while they watch somebody get carjacked. In fact, they make jokes about it the whole time this guy is getting carjacked. They don't do a thing. And they end up getting arrested because of it. They're put in jail because of it. And, you know, the ironic thing is the show about nothing ends with them being in jail for doing nothing. (laughs) Poetic license, I guess. But I think actually Jerry and George and Elaine and Kramer, they sort of embody what James is talking about here. To do nothing when we know we should do something sin, to not do the right thing. It's not enough just to not do the wrong thing. We've got to do the right thing as followers of Jesus. For that matter, I think anybody that lives by a moral code, we're pretty good at keeping rules. You know, we're, we're pretty good at avoiding evil. Don't lie. Don't cheat, don't steal, don't commit adultery. We like to attach action to sin. Because that makes it a lot easier for us to be able to identify people who are acting sinfully. But James wants you to know that inaction is just as sinful. We have to act on what we know. Pleading ignorance. It's not a it's not an option. It's no wonder that that group of people that are sinners is so huge, right? (laughs) Including all of us. Because we can not do the wrong thing and still fall exceedingly short of God's righteousness. Paul very famously wrote in Ephesians 2, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are created to do the right thing. We were made in Christ Jesus. We are created to do the right thing. I know what some of you are thinking. Okay, but there's times when I'm not sure what the right thing to do is. And sometimes it's just really hard to know what the right thing is. And that's true. There are times when knowing what the right thing to do might be a little difficult, but come on, not often. We tell ourselves that, but but not that often. You're smart. Look around this room. Most of us have been in the kingdom for a long time. We know what the right thing to do is. When we put our head on our pillow, we know what the right thing to do is. We just don't want to do it. And we don't tell ourselves we're not going to do it. We tell ourselves, I'm not going to do it now. I'm going to put it off. You know, delayed obedience is just disobedience in disguise, right? And isn't it amazing that the things that that I want to do, I do right away. The things that God wants me to do, I can always put that off. Doing my will, that can't wait. Doing God's will, well, that can always wait. 
so often doing the right thing, it's held hostage by when and then. Well, I'm going to do it when. I'm going to do it then. But those are pretty elusive terms, aren't they? Now, I'm going to do that someday. Someday, someday, someday. We sang the song, right? Someday is not a day of the week. It's not a day on a calendar. Faith that works in the real world supplants when and then. Supplants someday. So, my three points. Life is short. God's in control. Do the right thing. Pretty basic, right? I thought it sounds like three points that Angie would have used you know, back here on Faith Lane with the kids. Life is short. God's in control. Do the right thing. Pretty simple. So important. So important. Realizing that my time on life, my, life, my time here on this earth is temporary. You know, my time with God's eternal, but my time here is temporary. Realizing that I'm not really in control of anything that things are going to happen if it's God's will. So I need to do the right thing right now. Let me quote or, or leave, uh, leave you with two quick questions, kind of just for you to, to think about as we start a new week. The first question is this. Is there something that you see that's in your future? And maybe it's something that you're really excited about. Maybe it's something that you can't wait for it to happen. You're just really, you know, really looking forward to it. Or, or maybe it's something that you're dreading. Maybe it's something you're really stressed out about. But is there something that you see in your future where you need to acknowledge if it's God's will? You just need to acknowledge that. I'm really excited about this or I'm really stressed about this. If it's God's will. I mean, go ahead and prepare Go ahead and plan, but he's in control. And boy, what a blessing that he is, right? Last week, I shared with you some lyrics of a song that uh, Martha and I seem to hear every time we turn on the radio, and she has on her playlist, and become one of our favorite, you know, praise and worship songs. As I was preparing for this lesson, a song that I haven't thought of in 20 years came to mind. And I don't think I've sung it in 40 years. And I was going to say something to Dave, but I knew he would say, I know it, we sing it all the time, but I don't think we do. He knows it. If you're old enough, some of you might recognize it. Most of you have never heard it, but there's a a, a chorus, and the chorus says this, his power can make you what you ought to be. His blood can cleanse your heart and make you free. His love can fill your soul and you will see. And then the last line is, "'Twas best for him to have his way with thee." Which is an old school way of saying, what a great thing that God's in control. What a great thing that that God's in control because he knows what's best for me. He wants what's best for me. I got to let go of that control. I got to allow God to be in control. Actually, I got to acknowledge that God's in control. Because he's in control. And then my last question. What is something that you know, you know in your heart, is the right thing to do 
but you've been putting it off. You know it's the right thing to do, but you've been putting it off. Maybe it's responding to Jesus. You love Jesus. You know that one day you're going to confess him as Lord. You're going to go public. He's the king of my life. You're going to be baptized. It's the right thing to do. What are you waiting for? Maybe it's having a conversation with your husband or your wife or your children. And you know it's going to be a tough conversation, but you know it's the right thing to do. And it just hasn't happened yet. Maybe it's asking help with the struggle. There's an addiction, a sin, a temptation that you just can't quite get past. You can't get around. And you know the right thing to do is to ask a brother or a sister to help you with that. But it's hard. Is it going to someone who's hurt you? And having that conversation instead of talking about it with everybody else that you know? Or maybe going to someone that you've hurt and asking for forgiveness? It's the right thing to do. Maybe it's walking away from a relationship that you know isn't putting you in a good place. A relationship that you know is pulling you away from the heart of God, not toward the heart of God. And you know the right thing to do is to walk away. But you haven't. Maybe it's making a phone call, writing a text, keeping a promise that you made. Life is short. God's in control. Do the right thing. If we can help you anyway with that, uh, invite you to come and let us know. Let's go ahead and be standing while we sing. I found that song, but I found another old song. Uh, Ladies, want you to sing.